I'm Richard, and welcome to Esoteric's podcast, You Can't Eat the Sunshine, for the week of September 30th, 2013. Join us this week as we focus on the history of the landmark Parley Johnson House in Downey. We'll visit with Florence Towers, presidents of the Assistance League of Downey, to learn about the League's stewardship of the 1927 Spanish colonial revival Hacienda, which was designed by Roland Cote and gifted to the League by Mrs. Gypsy Johnson. We'll then join Brian Kaiser on the veranda to hear the incredible tale of how an ancient Persian ceramic glazing technique found throughout the house came to Mexico by way of Tunis and the Spanish conquistadors. So stay tuned. Los Angeles. El Pueblo. Lotus Land. The City of Angels. The Day of the Locust. The Slide Area. Where all the fruits and nuts ended up when they turned the country on its ear. But you and I were born here. Don't mind a few oddballs in the mix. They add flavor. Growing up in Cheviot Hills, my compass pointed straight to Fifth and Main. As a kid in Hollywood, I was forbidden to take the bus to the Central Library. But I did it anyway. Because you've got to start at the center to understand this confounding and fantastic city. Which makes nonsense of history and breaks all the rules. Rainer Banham said that. He taught us well. In the 1980s at UC Santa Cruz, now on our tours and in our time travel blogs, we're continuing the conversation. Raymond Chandler's Los Angeles and Charles Bukowski's The Birth of Noir. Route 66, The Lowdown on Downtown. The Real Black Dahlia. Positive public space, endangered landmarks, forgotten lore, memory maps, mysteries, murder, the allocation of resources, the hidden forces that shape public policy, Skid Row, Bunker Hill, preservation, restoration, redevelopment, it's a four-letter word, Los Angeles, you can eat the sunshine, but you can drive around and take a long, hard look, and listen to the stories, and pass them on. Why are we doing this again? Because we love the place with a passion that goes beyond sense or reason. So did Rainer Banham. So we did. Now let's begin. You can't eat the sunshine, but you can make a beeline for the best of the coastline. La 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 la. Skid Row, Solano Canyon, the Doria, and Pico Union, the long lost neighborhood called Hermina between podcast you can't eat the sunshine for the week of september 30th 2013 our guests this week are florence tower she is president of the downey assistance league and once again our dear friend brian kaiser will be back to talk about what's he gonna talk about kim brian talks about tile but somehow there's so much more the universe is in glazed california tile yeah so in this episode this episode for September 30th, for the week of September 30th, 2013. This episode is going to focus simply on the Gypsy Johnson house in Downey. No, it's not. It's the Parley Johnson house, although Gypsy lived there long after, but its official name... La Casa de Parley Johnson. It's on the National Register. Florence is going to talk about the Assistance League's stewardship 
of the property, a little some some from some cute adore anecdotes about Gypsy, uh, the room, her room, which she's which she's uh, willed be preserved, willed to be preserved in perpetuity, and a darn cute <laughs> room it is too. And then Brian's going to go. It's really interesting. There's very interesting tile there. I'm going to leave it at that because Brian always has something very interesting to say. And this is all, of course, to anticipate the. Um, the open house that the Downey Assistance League is going to have for the Johnson House, October 19th and 20th. You're going to hear about that at length in the podcast, so I won't belabor that point. But we're just, we're very excited. This is the first time they've decided to do this in a long time. It's a great house, and I'm just going to say it. They are looking for event promoters to consider them as a venue. They have, they have a, there's, been a, there's been a watershed decision in the Downey Assistance League in the last couple of months, and they've all agreed that no longer do you need an Assistance League member to be the sponsor of an event. If you're an event promoter, you have a good track record, you know what you're doing, they're happy to talk to you about renting out this house as a venue. Which means you can get married in a Spanish hacienda in the middle of Downey. You know you want to do that. You, 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 actually, you actually do want to do that. So, so that's what we're going to talk about this week in the interviews. Uh, of course, we have uh, several, several pre-interview sections to get through. But before we do anything else, Kim, the Pishka. The Pishka, the digital tip jar. That's the little thing that we tell you about every week, which is that if you enjoy this podcast, and we certainly hope that you do, we hope you'll consider throwing a little something into our digital tip jar to help with the cost of gasoline as we travel around the Southland looking for groovy people to talk to for you to listen to. It's never obligatory, but it's always appreciated, and we are grateful for your support and your listenership. Thank you, Kim. Okay, moving on. Closely watched train so i'm gonna i'm gonna start so the parker center this is at first in los angeles this is um really beautiful early 60s modern building complete with these wonderful vertical vertical separators between the plate glass windows pilates right it's just it's the Ooh, yeah, it's i love the, it pil- when you pil- talk pil- right exactly so this is uh it's been closed for about Six, seven years, I think. Semi-closed? I mean, there was yeah, a, a little bit of activity. Okay, this right. is, of course, the old police department. Okay, so let me... Right, so so for those of you that are still saying mm, Parker Center, uh, this is the... This was the... In 1962, 63, when it was built, this was the new police headquarters. The the, the new, new, the, the, the most recent police headquarters is just... Katie is just a block up at first in spring. Parker Center, when it was built, it was named posthumously for Chief Parker. Um, our dear friend John Bunton refers to this building as Chief William Parker's, as a sacrament of Chief William Parker. The sacrament is a external physical manifestation of a sign of your devotion. <laughs> Which is an interesting point, considering it was probably the most wired building in LA history. Yeah, so th- this is a really important building. Go read John's book, LA Noir. They ju- they're making a television show out of it, Mob City, which has nothing to do with this. And you, if you watch the television show, you won't. Well, it's hear- said a little earlier, but and you won't hear anything about Chief Parker. But this is this is a really interesting structure. There is a jail attached to it, which of course brings up the question of the need to document and 
put into proper history the history of jails and the LAPD and the LASD, because when this was built, the sheriff's department still was not the sole entity receiving people in, in, in for, for incarceration. Receiving, it sounds so gracious well, when you put okay. it that way. Anyway, this, this is a great building. Yeah, it was wired. There were so many wired. The, the building was wired. Interrogation rooms, jails. Uh, headquarters, right? Chief of police office, all, all his administration. This is a great building. Okay, so now, deep breath. Okay, so the in, the draft environmental impact report is out. You need to write the architect, the city architect in charge of this project, an email. His email is, I love his email. I, I got it, Kim. You don't, I, I'm closing my eyes saying this email because it's such a great email. His email is old Parker Center. E-I-R at LACity.org. This is why I think we might be able to save this building. Because because the architect actually chose that email address. That's a real... I'm sending him an email. <laughs> okay, so... I'm sending him an email as we talk. Okay, so, so the choices are this. They can keep the existing building and modify it and repurpose it and put in some additional auxiliary buildings immediately around it, make use of the jail... And and just revamp and repurpose this building. Uh, the that other good. the other options are basically just tearing it down and and building something really ugly in its place. And I think those are bad options. So so send send the architect an email. We're going to put the link up. Uh, we'll put the link up to the page which lets you access the draft environmental impact report. This is we can do this. We've got about uh, another three weeks while they're taking comments. Um, John Bunton has sent his letter in in support. It's it's really important. It's really really important. I'm not even getting into the murals that the Triforium guy put up in there, which I actually think they moved the murals. Oh, yeah, I think Jemper moved the murals. I th- Maybe they're planning on. I yeah. don't. Well. We're going to send those emails, and we're going to hope, and, and we'll see what happens. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's always good to speak up on behalf of old buildings. They they can creak, and they can moan, but they can't talk. Right. So so send an email. It's a great email address. I'm, I think it's going to work. All right. Our next closely watched train, I'm happy to say that the Valley Relics Museum is is opening next next week. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Valley Relics Museum is a new... Uh, Institution. Um, October twelfth. I'm sorry. Our, when I, where do we do our uh, the next time we're the, the when we're when we're back on the bus, the next time we're back on the bus or blood and dumplings. Right. Um, so it, it's a private collection of historical material related to the history of the San Fernando Valley, which, contrary to some snarky thoughts, actually does have an extremely long and interesting history, and it's changed enormously over just the last 50 or 60 years. Um, But it's also become a signage repository, because the gentleman whose collection it is, uh, he, he digs old signs, and whenever possible, he's just taken them for personal use, and now he has this nonprofit. And interestingly, he's spread out beyond now um, the valley as a sole topic of interest because recent acquisitions include the Tiffany Theater sign on the Sunset Strip. The Tiffany Theater, of course, was the home of the Rocky Horror Picture Show, uh, the Rocky Horror Show, no, the Picture Show, the um, longtime home of the film screenings, the midnight screenings, and uh, also the original Sound Records sign. 
from Art LeBeau's old building on Sunset Boulevard, not on the Strip, over by Hollywood High, which uh, just came down with, with very little notice very quickly. And I was really happy to see the sign saved because um, I'm a huge fan of this wonderful rock and roll band that came out of that label, The Music Machine, one of the brainiest garage rock bands that there was. So in memory of my friend Sean Bonowell, who's no longer with us, and The Music Machine, I'm glad that sign was saved. Um, and also, most notably, they... Um, acquired the Henry's Tacos sign. Uh, Henry's Tacos being this <laughs> really gringo taco joint in, in Van Nuys, I believe, that was much beloved, and, and they got into this huge battle. The, the owners of Henry's got into this huge battle with the landlord, which ultimately resulted in them leaving. And although the cook has taken the Henry's name and the menu and has just moved nearby, the uh, original 60s sign is now part of Valley Relics. So uh, it's only going to be open on Saturdays, occasional hours, volunteer help. So maybe it's the kind of thing you want to be involved in. We'll put a link. Go check it out. And uh, if you see a sign in danger and you can't grab it for yourself, maybe call Valley Relics. They save signs. I bet they'd open if you if you said you were pulling up with a busload of fifty people. I bet they 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 take special appointments. Hmm. In the abstract, that's an interesting idea. Kim, USC is not going to put a road through Hazard Park. I'm happy to say that. Okay, so let me we'll, we'll, let's get through this quickly. Hazard Park. This is this is this is a good thing. Hazard Park is in Boyle Heights. It sits just just north of. County General Hospital, just south of Main Street. So basically, it's not El Sereno? I thought it was. It's, it's kind of Boyle, border. It's Boyle Heights. Okay. Okay, it's just. Okay, let me tell people where it is. Cause Northeast it, Los Angeles. It's Kim. Sure. It's it's at Soto and Valley. Okay, it's just south of. It's actually. Honey, it, that's El Sereno. Okay, tell us okay. about the park. So so it's a park which is basically just south of Soto and Valley. Soto and Valley is an interesting intersection because it's just east of Lincoln Park and it has this giant bridge, which is Soto Street, which is an old, uh, which started life as this old red car alignment. And it's been transformed into a bridge for, for car traffic and Metro is going to completely redo the bridge. Hazard Park sits just to the south of this. USC owns County General in, in conjunction with the county. USC County General's is proper name, and they also have a series of medical complexes on Valley Boulevard. So, so they they want to do a bunch of stuff, con- making it more connective with they all these. They want to put in a lot of housing too. They they want to do a lot of stuff in this area. Happily, they're planned to put a road through Hazard Park, which is this wonderful old park uh, in in Boyle Heights, just off of Soto. Really great spot of green space in that neighborhood. They've nixed it. Outcry from the community. Outcry was great enough. They nixed it. I am. I'm sorry to say that I have an interview lined up about this, but I'm happy because. Well, well talk about how. Yeah, they saved I, I'm, it. I mean, I'm still. Yeah, so I think Tom and I are still going to do the interview. I so. mean, it, it makes you think of what happened with Hollenbeck Park, which is oh. definitely in Boyle Heights and one of the great Los Angeles parks. You know, definitely on par with with Lincoln, with Westlake. And that park was cut in half by the freeway, even though Mrs. Hollenbeck gave the land to the city in perpetuity for park purposes. Uh, but with social media now, you know, it's really possible for communities to rally. And I just think about places like Bunker Hill and how different things would have been if there was a way to amplify the voices of the 9,000 people on the hill. Hazard Park, 
saved. You may not have even heard about it, but it was saved. And that's because people spoke up. And, and just a sort of selfish note, and this is on our contact page. If you want to get in touch with us, send us an email. Because I won't call people at their phone numbers at 11 o'clock at night. Okay, <laughs> I won't. It's too late. I'll call my mother. No, I won't call my mother at 11 o'clock at night. You won't even call me at 11 right. o'clock Right, it's just, it's too late. I won't call people at 5.30 in the morning when I'm getting up and drinking my tea. And so, it, in between those times, I'm really very busy, and I'm not trying to be difficult, but really, if you if you want to reach out to us, something's upsetting you, you want you want us to do an interview podcast about it or something, send us an email. Asynchronous communication. Yeah, asynchronous communication improves the latency between... Uh, between recipients. So, uh, oh my God, if you keep talking like this, we're going to have to stop podcasting. Thank you. So, Kim, the bridge, the Figaro Bridge in Frogtown at Avenue 20 and Figueroa, basically that's... Over by the old jail. Over by the old, just north of the old jail on Avenue 19. That bridge, uh, there's a little, uh, a glimmer of hope. With with the light comes hope. Right. Um, if Officially, it's called the Riverside Figueroa Bridge, and it's um, in the process of being decommissioned. There's a new bridge being built adjacent, which is very modern, bells and whistles, but this beautiful old bridge has its proponents and partisans, and uh, an idea was put forward to the Cultural Heritage Commission, because all of LA's uh, river bridges are historical landmarks, to not knock the old bridge down prematurely. Yes, the new bridge is going to carry the car traffic, but it was built without touching the old bridge, which is still being used. And the idea was put forward that maybe something really cool could be done with this old bridge, like, for example, a Highline-style park, as is in New York now, which has become one of the hottest pieces of of urban park land in the world. Um, And Cultural Heritage is interested, and they're actually looking at this proposal and and the idea of just stopping any plans to demo the old bridge and consider turning it into an elevated park with river and freeway and train track views is out there. Um, The only thing I'd like to say about it, though, is that this uh, proposal has been put forward with, with a name. Uh, and the name is the Figueroa Land Bridge, and that is the most boring name I've ever heard in my life. And nobody is going to go out and, and pound the pavements for the Figueroa Land Bridge. I'm sorry. However, Frogtown Highline might be the coolest name for a park I've heard in a long time. And I am willing to say right now, I support the Frogtown Highline, and I think that you should too. And so write to the Cultural Heritage Commission and, and tell them what you think if you agree. Thank you, Kim. Good job. All right, Kim, let's, uh, let's walk through some uh, lava events for the month of October uh, sequentially as we, as, we, as we sail through October into the holidays, my favorite time of year. The eggnog and the nutmeg, and I just I and love it. And the carols, it. you and hate the, it. I love you it. Hate I Christmas. love it. You'd I love it. it. I love it. Why are you saying as that? We, as we sail through October, Thursday, October 10. Union Rescue Mission, Reverend Andy Bales and I, and several other really great uh, tour guides are going to give a walking tour of Skid Row, Old and New. We'll go through the whole history of the Union Rescue Mission in Skid Row. That that starts at 5. At 7, we're going to have a screening of the 1949 film of Scrap and Steel, which the Union Rescue Mission produced, shot on location right there at the mission, which at the time was at 2nd and Main, next door to St. Fibiana's. It's going to be great. Okay, just go, go, we'll put the links up, go register, show up, you're, you're not going to be disappointed. 
then, uh, barreling along without even thinking, we're going to get to Sunday, October 20th, to a sold-out event. I've got a waiting list. That's the Crime Lab. Um, you know, we put together one of these historical Crime Lab seminars at Cal State Los Angeles. These We do them about quarterly, and they're benefits for the Criminalistics Graduates Department. And this one is uh, called Los Angeles 1920 to 1947, The Birth of Forensic Science. Obviously a very popular topic, and we will bear this in mind for future programming, that these historic programs are, are really popular. If you're interested in trying to attend, definitely email me. I'll put you in order on the waiting list. And if not, uh, we will have another one of these early in the new year. So stay tuned, get on the lava mailing list. And uh, remember, if you kill someone, you will leave a trace. That's what we learn from these things. January's crime lab. I'm not going to say what it is, but you're, you're, people are going to be very happy. <laughs> It'll okay. be posted before... This yeah. crime lab happens, yeah. so stay tuned. Okay, and then and then the the end of of October, uh, the twenty seventh of October, Sunday the twenty seventh is of course the monthly lava salon and uh, installment number four of Broadway on My Mind walking tour. The salon is going to feature Star, aka Leslie Zemeckis, uh, talking about the history of burlesque. She has a new book out. This book is. Uh, part of her a larger project, which began with a documentary, and she's great, and the book is a lot of fun, and she is going to be preceded in the salon by Professor Paul Rood, who is a, 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 a new friend of ours. We just we just met him at the archive at the Union Rescue Mission. Can I just say, I love the programming you're doing for these lava salons. It is it is so. Deeply twisted and fascinating. People don't even know what Professor Paul Rood is going to talk about, Kim. So Leslie's going to end the salon with the history of burlesque. Paul is going to begin the salon with the history of Christian social workers proselytizing in Skid Row in the 1890s. And now you, too, see what a genius my husband is. Financed by Lyman Stewart. So, so it's it's really it's it's going to be really good. My the Broadway on my mind walking tour is of course an ongoing series. Uh, Video for number two is now available. We'll share that link. The city is starting this uh, in in, in May, former Mayor Villaraigosa's final days. Council approved funding for phase strategy one, phase one of the streetscape master plan for Broadway. And I'm very concerned, as are all the people that show up and give us about 90 minutes of their time on the last Sunday of the month and listen to our concerns and walk on Broadway and just marvel and say, they want to do what? They want to do what? What are they thinking? So, so if, you, if you ask the question, what is the city thinking, which is always a good thing to ask yourself, like you should have a, you should have a, a Google reminder that, 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 that jars you every 15 minutes. <laughs> And ask yourself that. That's very disruptive. It, it, so is the city. <laughs> if, if, you, if, if, if you ask yourself, what are they thinking, come on down to this tour. It's a lot of fun. That is October. We did it. Those are our lava events. We'll wrap up the podcast with upcoming bus tours through November, which will conclude with my birthday bus. And we're very excited about that. So there we go. Um, I need to introduce our speaker. So our first speaker... Our first interview will be Florence, so I'll introduce Brian first, because Brian will be the last. So, Brian's going to talk about ancient Persian ceramic kill technique as practiced in Puebla, Mexico, which was a 
practice brought over by the conquistadors. It's it shows up in the Johnson House in Downey. In Downey, it where was, they made the spacecraft. Right. What a world. So this is just Brian never ceases to amaze us, and and he's just going to take you all over the place and back. The Johnson House is great. So we'll wrap up with him and Tile at the Johnson House, because you can't talk about Spanish culinary revival in Southern California without talking about Tile. We will begin our, our interviews with Florence Tower. She is the current president of the Downey Assistance League, of the Assistance League of Downey. Excuse me, that's his proper name. The Assistance League of Downey. This is her third term as president, not sequential, but she was president a couple terms, a couple terms consecutively about 10 years ago. The Assistance League was given the house in trust by Mrs. Gypsy, Mrs. Johnson, Gypsy Johnson. The Los Angeles Conservancy has an easement on the facade and the grounds. And the, and the Assistance League is the, the steward of the property. They have an open house coming up October 19th and 20th. The, uh, there's been a real, a real uh, sea change in the board's attitude towards opening the house to the public. We are here to support, encourage, and provide positive feedback and, and a good turnout. So the, board's, the board has, has warm, fuzzy feelings about this decision and keeps doing this. So there we go. Those are going to be our interviews, and, and we hope you enjoy them. I'm here with you in Downey. We're at the Casa de Parley Johnson. And I want you to first of all introduce yourself, your position with the Assistance League of Downey, and just get us started with a little bit of, of this beautiful 1927 Roland Coat House. Okay. All right. I'm, I am president of the Assistance League of Downey. It's really my third time. As a number of years ago, I did two terms as president and have held probably every, just about every office because I've been a member for probably over 30 years. You need to tell us your full name. Okay, my full name is Florence Johnson Johanna Towers. Perfect. Okay, and tell us how the, Down- the Assistance League of Downey came to hold in trust this house, which has been put in, a, in an easement by, by Gypsy Johnson. Okay, this home uh, was willed to the Downey Assistance League by Gypsy Johnson, and the reason she willed it to us was that she was a member. She and her husband had no children, and this place meant so much to her, and Assistance League meant so much to her because she was a great philanthropist. And she was an active member until her death. And upon her death, this was in her will. So it has been um, a major uh, find for us. We were thrilled with this place. We have treasured this place. We know that it's going to cost a great deal of money to keep, keep it up. But it is a real pleasure. And all of our groups meet here for their regular meetings and we do rent it out for events as long as who's it, there is a member in charge. Perfect, perfect. We're into this in bite-sized pieces, so perfect. Um, 
I'm interviewing you specifically because you've got an event, an open house coming up. And, and, and so the goal is to get as many people as possible here because this is, I'm just gonna, I'm not spoiling anything. This is a 1927 Roland Coat Spanish colonial revival home. Monterey style, it is, it is the greatest extant example of, of, of this type of house in Southern California that is open to the public, I dare say. There may be one or two others I'm missing, but this, this is the genuine article. October 19th, October 20th, you've got the open house, so let's go. Give, give, us, give us the details. I want all the details. How do we, where are you? How do we get here? What are the hours? Where do we buy the tickets? So many people, when they pass this house on the street, they have often wondered what is behind those white walls. And because people have questioned it, and a member, our members have heard it, we have decided we were going to open it up and have an open house as part of a fundraiser for our assistance league. So on October 19th and 20th, we are going to have an open house. And at this open house, there will be a tour of the entire estate. There will be a docent in each room telling you the details because, believe me, there are details in every room that are you are nev- never going to find anywhere else. It is just amazing the amenities that were included this many years ago, and it's too bad we haven't kept them going today in our homes. But at this event, in addition to the tour of the house, we are going to have a plant sale which will be held out in the patio outside the potting shed. We're going to have a bake sale. We're going to have vendors. And our very, very talented members have made a a number of Halloween crafts and Christmas crafts that will be on sale. And they'll be like what we call um, cupboard treasures, uh, special things that uh, we have saved through the year for this event. Our hours for this event on Saturday are 10 to 5, on Sunday, 12 to 4. Now, this home is found on Florence Avenue, just off of Paramount Boulevard. You can reach it by the 5 freeway to Paramount. You will turn toward the south, depending on which way you go, right or left. You will turn uh, south on Paramount to Florence Avenue, You will turn right on Florence Avenue, and after two signals, you will see the parking lot of this home. It's a huge parking lot, and in case the parking lot is full, you can park at the Lutheran Church, which is right next door. Perfect. One last thing. Ticket price. The ticket price is just $15. And they are on sale at our thrift shop, which is at on Downey Avenue in the second block next to uh, front of an at the old Avenue Theater. However, tickets will be on sale at the event, and many of our members are selling tickets to their f- friends and family, so it will not be difficult. Perfect. Perfect. Kim and I will be here on the 20th. We cannot wait. Very excited. Let's um, let's roll up our sleeves and get to work. I want you to just give us, of course, this your, your open house is going to be very in-depth. I just want you to, some very broad, simple brush strokes. Paint us a picture of this really 
incredible example of the Spanish, late Spanish colonial revival. It's covered in tile. The tile is Mexican. This is a tip. This is not local South, uh, Southern California tile. It's beautiful Mexican tile. Deep patios. Florence Yoch was the landscape architect. Can't, don't even want to start naming her credits. Um, she's an utter genius. This is a gorgeous place. Why don't you start by telling us how Gypsy got her name? And, and then we can move on to this house, which was so beloved by her. Gypsy got her name because when she was born, she was such a tiny, tiny little baby that someone said, my, the gypsies must have brought her. And for some reason, that took over, and nobody really, I think, is aware of what her real name was. It was always Gypsy Johnson. Now, her... Uh, she and her husband had no children. I think I probably told you that. And uh, he had this home built for her in the late 1920s. And it's, in addition to this, the huge home, there's the uh, very, very large patio. The yard, I always say, is half the size of a football field. In the corner of the yard, there is a raised brick stage where she had bands and and because they love to entertain and this the band or the whatever was there was has a special place raised up for them to entertain why don't you explain to us what this site looked like when mr mr parley johnson decided to contract Mr. Roland Coat to, to to build this house, it was it was it was apple or it was I'm sorry it was, it was orange it was orange groves it was like twenty acres of of, of orange groves. So why don't you just um, ex- I mean that's another really important point about this house is that while the orange groves have been sold and subdivided decades and decades ago, you still get a s- tremendous sense standing in the gardens here of what old pre-war Downey must have been like. Like I said, the home was built in the late 1920s, and it was in the center of an orange grove. Now, Parley Johnson himself was born in 1890 in Riverside, California, and his family had extensive citrus holdings. And it was the Valencia strain of orange that they developed. And he also was involved in real estate, and he was also one of the founders of the Auto Club of Southern California. And this home, um, he became interested in ranching after World War I when he married, and I just see, finally see her name, Celine Goats Richardson in 1925. And then he had to build a suitable residence for his beautiful wife. Perfect. Perfect. So let's just then spend a couple minutes talking about this this house. This is Ro- Roland Coat. Oh well, let me just uh, one one more build up. There are many Roland Coat houses still in Downey, but I dare say, if anyone were to get their addresses and be invited to them, because they're all privately owned and not open to the public, I dare say, if anyone were to be invited to them, they would pull into the driveway, look around, and say, "Where's?" Where's the two-story Monterey-style mission, a Spanish revival house? They would look around and they wouldn't see it because all the owners have remodeled them beyond existence. So this is, this is it. So just give us, 
we're gonna let's just let's just let's just do this. We're 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 gonna come to the open house. We're gonna pull into the driveway off of Florence. What are we gonna see? We're gonna walk in through that wonderful little wrought iron gate into the garden. And, and what are we gonna see? When you arrive here, because I told you there is a huge parking lot out in front, you will walk through the wrought iron gate. I will tell you this: you need to walk carefully because it's bricks. And not all even, so you have to be very careful. But you will be overwhelmed by the size of the beautiful rectangle-shaped lawn bordered by roses, tree roses. And each of those roses is planted in honor of a president of Assistance League. So I have a rose out there. And there's something like eight magnolia trees, eight azalea trees, a jacaranda numerous, numerous um, shrubs that I don't know the name of. And there is, there is an orange tree and a citrus tree. There is a huge uh, pyracantha bush. And there's a little garden that, that's des- designated for the assistings, and that's the young girls that are a part of Assistance League. They are ninth, tenth, eleventh, and twelfth, and and when they graduate, we have a big, beautiful ball where they're in their white gowns and are, are presented with a, a special brooch, that signifies their four years of service, which is all volunteer service, and they have to donate, so many hours, uh, a year, just like we uh, members have to donate so many hours. And most of our hours are spent at the thrift shop because we all have to work there two days, a day a month, and uh, many times more than one day a month. Perfect. I want to just focus then on this little snapshot we've given. I want to focus on the room. I want to focus on the room, the one room which is exactly as Gypsy left it. I, I don't want to get into the other rooms. I want people to come. We're in. You and I are sitting in the living room. It's a hot day in the middle of September. Beautiful, beautiful field tile. The entire the entire floor of the whole house is just beautiful local field tile. Gladie McBean. We're sitting under these beautiful heavy beam ceilings, whitewashed walls. I want you to take us around the corner there to the room that is untouched. It was as Gypsy left it and per her will, will, will always be. That's right. When you enter the house itself, you, will, you must first notice the floor, the brick floors. Every room, the, the, the bricks are laid a different way. And the whitewashed walls and the huge drapes, the place has lots of windows, which is really amazing. And... Uh, when you go to the right, there is a small little, what we would call a library or a den. And in accordance with Mrs. Johnson's wishes, the den still contains its original furniture, including the French bed, which dates back to the 1700s. Plans for the house were changed to accommodate that bed. Furniture obtained in France and Spain was acquired through the efforts of Cornell and Chaffin, some of the draperies are of co- some kind of a cotton, which was specially woven for this house. Wow. 
so this is so people who should definitely go to that room. That's my advice when you get here. Go to go to Gypsy's room first. So I th- I think we did it. I think we did it. I think we've given them. I think we've we've we, the we we've whetted everyone's appetite. Um, I want you just to introduce yourself again and remind us of the dates and the hours for the event because I definitely want people to come to this. This is. This is God, this is such a fantastic place. And so let's just wrap it up. Just, yeah, tie up all the loose ends. Remind us who you are and when this open house is going to happen. Okay. As president of the Assistance League, I'm truly looking forward to this event. I'm planning to spend both days here greeting everyone as they come. I, there is so much to see, and you have to keep your eyes open to see all the beautiful tile, which is different in every single room. And on the October 19th and 20th, we hope to see many, many of you here. And the hours again are 10 to 5 on Saturday, 12 to 4 on Sunday. And my name is Florence Towers, President of the Assistance League of Downey. Perfect. And I will just uh, let people know, tickets are $15 and you can buy them here. Just show up and buy them here. If it's Saturday and you have a little extra time, I encourage you to stop by the thrift shop. The thrift shop closes at three o'clock on Sunday. On Saturday. I'm sorry. On Saturday, it closes. It closes at nine to two. So the thrift shop is open Saturday the nineteenth, nine to two. If you get a chance, it's a good thrift shop. So go to the thrift shop. You know the there Downey Avenue, where our assistance league is. On Saturdays, there is a farmers market. So you can't park in front of our store, but you can park behind the thrift shop. But the farmer's market is open, I think it's from 8 to 1. And our thrift shop is open from 9 to 2. People are going to make an afternoon of this. I know they are. Florence, good job. I want to thank you. And, and, we'll, and we'll see you. Kim and I will see you on the 20th. Good, good. I'm looking forward to seeing you on the 20th. I'm looking forward to sharing this place. And I do want to say again, you've got to look for all the special little built-ins that are in each room. It's really a delight. Hi there, this is Maja Dakini Dau, and I'm here at Sage Restaurant in beautiful Echo Park, Los Angeles, with Richard and Kim. And you're listening to You Can't Eat the Sunshine. We're here at the uh, at the Gypsy Johnson House in Downey. We're in the courtyard. This is a 1927 Roland coat, and I want you to introduce. Oh, this is, this is a gorgeous patio. Mm-hmm. We're underneath some crepe myrtles. Beautiful. This is just gorgeous. Yeah. Um, I want you just to introduce yourself, and maybe we can start with the tile basin behind you, and then. On the other side of this wall, through these beautiful patio doors, we have a stairway mm-hmm. with some beautiful tile risers. Why don't you just introduce yourself and just quickly run through some of the interesting tile uh, ceramic design features of this house? Uh, well, once again, my name is uh, Brian Kaiser. I own the home of Rufus Keeler, who is the founder of the Malibu Potteries, which got me started on a, a life of uh, ceramic tile many, many, many years ago, so that brings us to here, what is called both the Gypsy Johnson and the Parley Johnson house, who was her uh, husband, a wonderful, a beautiful home, and incredibly original and immaculate 
condition, just astounding. Gypsy Johnson left this to the Assistance League, of which she was a member many, many years ago, got it on the National Register, and I think largely because of that, you know, when you get a house already in that condition and then hand it right off to people who are going to take care of it, um, the ladies here just have done a beautiful job of, of keeping this together. As uh, far as the ceramic tile is concerned, this is kind of a curious house, but it's still quite interesting in a somewhat um, uh, different way. You would have thought in the 20s and 30s that our, our architects that are doing Spanish colonial would have used lots of Mexican tile in the houses because they would have been so perfect. The designs would have been perfect. The general uh, construction of the tile at the time in Mexico would have been perfect. And what's somewhat ironic is that that was simply not the case um, at all. And we have to speculate a little bit about why that is, um, and just quickly then why I'm saying that is, this is a rolling coat, and there's a lot of lovely decorative tile here in, in a lot of different areas of the house, which is all, to the best of my knowledge at this point, is all from Mexico, different parts of Mexico, I believe, which is interesting, uh, but Mexican tile, and you just really don't, you just don't see that. Um, as a matter of fact, there's another rolling coat or was not far away, and that was also Mexican tile. So there's at least two examples. I'm not as familiar with Roland, but maybe that was his thing. I don't know about his other architecture, but it could be that it was Roland's choice to you know to do that. So to begin with, we've got you know this architect, and that he made these um, uh, that he made these choices. As far as not using it so much, there was several problems with the Mexican tile. For one thing, even though Mexico was just to the south of us, that still meant you were having the tile imported, quote-unquote, from another country. You still had to get it here. And even in the 20s and 30s, things were somewhat primitive as far as transporting this much fragile material. Right. Ironically, you might be safer getting your Tunisian tile you know, brought in from the Mediterranean as opposed to getting it from Mexico in terms of breakage and what it would cost, you know, you know, et cetera, et cetera. The other thing about Mexican tile is it's very, 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 very brittle, very weak, very soft. It is not well made because in some cases the Mexican potters, um, they did not, they were not able to fire the tile anywhere near as high as we could here. You've got to fire it. You have to get up to whatever, 2,000, 3,000 degrees to get it really hard, the clay body hard, and, and make the glaze really fuse, you know, onto the, onto the bisque, right? So... It would have been okay short term, although I'm astounded the condition of the tile here is excellent. This is in beautiful, beautiful condition. But it was not going to be as strong. In some cases, as a matter of fact, in some cases the Mexican potters really did it the old-fashioned way, and that is they took the tile after it was, they didn't put it in a kill, they put it in the sun. And they relied on the intense, you know, Mexican sun, especially in the summertime, to bake it. And you will get a reasonable, you'll still get a reasonable tile, but you're not going to get a really strong tile like we could produce here. So in the end, look at what the architects were looking at. You've got in Southern California, Northern California, two or three dozen of some of the finest tile makers actually probably in the world at that time. You can choose any design you want. You're talking about tiles that are fired very high, very professionally, really everlasting, Mr. Keeler's phrase, you know, everlasting tile that would last forever. So, and probably in the end, it was going to be cheaper for you to buy your tile here, and you could drive 10 or 15 miles away and pick up a truckload, and you were on the job site, and you were, you were done. So for various reasons, the, the, the distance of, of Mexico, transporting it here, the quality of the tile, uh, it just seems like most of the, um, even then, it, 
the Mexican tile would not have been considered a quality tile. Seems ironic, but it has to do not with the design, but the production techniques. So what we have here is an interesting combination. For example, we're in the, um, the beautiful loggia area just off the uh, living room where the family probably would have had a huge rustic table here. And during the day when it's warm or the evening, there would just would have been beautiful dinners served here out in the open with the servants bringing everything, you know, from the kitchen, you know, with torches and kerosene lamps and all sorts of stuff. And it would have been a very idyllic um, Southern California setting, as it were. There's also a, a water basin, an outdoor water basin of um, Mexican tile, what I believe is Mexican tile, and what George Washington Smith referred to as a, as a flower sink. He called right. them, he always, he always had a lot of flower sinks in his home. His home was Andalusian in style, but um, he certainly, he liked to use these outdoor sinks, but that's what he referred to them as, which I think has to do with when you had a huge estate, you'd go out riding or walking, you'd, you'd collect flowers, you know, beautiful wildflowers, whatever, or through the garden here, and you'd come here and you'd clean the flowers and put them in vases and get them ready and bring your beautiful uh, floral arrangement inside. So at least for Smith, this would have been a flower uh, sink. But if you're going to have meals here, then you, you have just a, you know, a nice natural source of water. Uh, there's, there's charming, beautiful, colorful tile um, everywhere. There's a very charming entry hall with step risers right. all the way at the top. And what's really curious about that in terms of after 26 years of doing this, <laughs> this, is, what, this is what it takes to make, to make connections. The first time I was here a long time ago, and I was here before I went to the Jackling Mansion in, you know, in Woodside. And, and it was funny how those caught my eye, you know, almost immediately, those step risers. So the whole genesis is trying to figure out. Somebody told the people here they were Malibu. Utterly impossible because it has three chips. All the step risers have three chips out of the face, meaning it comes from the city of Puebla in Mexico. Um, when, I, when I did the salvage of Steve Jobs' uh, Jackling Mansion, there was a Mexican mural of St. Catherine of the Wheel in the guest, uh, there was a guest wing at the Jekyll Mansion, and she had a border. She had a very, very specific border, and the step risers are the border of Catherine of the Wheel at the Jekyll Mansion, but she was not signed. Now, on the one hand, it's got the three chips, so at that point I knew it was Puebla, I knew it was Mexican, I knew it was Puebla, but she was not signed. And then during a Wallace Neff tour of Pasadena, not too many years ago, there's a church in, um, I, think, I think it's Elizabeth, I think it's St. Elizabeth Church in northern Pasadena, and uh, there are two Mexican murals on the facade of one of the secondary, there's the church and there's the secondary buildings, you know. Well, incredibly enough, here's a duplicate of the mural from, from Woodside, from the Jackling Mansion, same border, but that one is signed. So I have the name. I have the name, and I don't want to even repeat it because I have the picture. I have. I don't. I just can't remember it right now. But go. But by going through that, I can tell you who made those tiles. And if he made those tiles, then probably any tile in this house that has three chips was made by the same man. So I do have to go home and look that up. But by going through that progression of uh, of the tiles. Um, I can tell you who who made those, and undoubtedly, if they if they picked up the tile from him, like I say, if there's other tile with three chips, they would have come from the same manufacturer, you know. Um, and then let me let me ask you, the three chips, right? 
I understand what you mean, but yeah. why don't we just we'll just reiterate right. these three chips have to do with the firing process right. and right. the stacking process in the kill. Note that I did not use an N when I pronounced kill. Yeah, both are correct. Technically, I do want to let you know, if you look in the dictionary, both are correct. But real pottery people, I'm told that Rufus Keeler stopped anybody who, who pronounced the, the N. He did not, he very... Like, like, my, like my wife. Well, but she, but she is still correct. No, she is still... No, no, no. Oh, no. Oh. Okay, put down the knife. Just put down the knife. It's okay. It's <laughs> Richard, I corrected you. You're oh. making it sound as if I said it wrong. Oh, no, no, Kim, you, you corrected me. You, you oh. correct. You, my wife will not let me say. Right. My wife will not let me pronounce kill with an N. Okay. That's exactly what I meant by that comment, darling. Okay. Well, it's sort of ma- it's sort of more a matter of, of the pottery people as opposed to the linguistic people because I sort of, I went through this the same thing when I learned when I actually read one of Rufus Keeler's employees say that Rufus always stopped her if she pronounced the N he stopped her and he said you do not pronounce the N it is kill which is an old English it has to do with an old English term and he wanted to go back to the original term so when I saw that Rufus Keeler wanted it that way that's that's what I changed because I used to do it. I used to do this because as a speech, as a person with a background in speech and language, whatever, you know, the N was there. You pronounced the N. So it's a potter's thing, but you're correct. Potters like to say uh, kill at any rate. So, uh, yeah, the, the purpose of the three, the three dots is a technique. In the 1920s and 30s, there would have been only two places in the world where you got tile with three chips, where all the tile had three chips occurring in the face, and that was the Tunisian tile uh, company of uh, Jacob Chemla in the city of Tunis and Puebla. And both techniques go back to ancient Persia, where they did not have what we used in the 20s and 30s, which were sagar boxes. A sagar box is a a rough, uh, just a very rough clay box which just holds your tile while it's being fired, and the box allows you to separate your tiles from each other so they don't damage each other, especially during the gloss, what's called the glossed firing uh, of the glaze, you know, firing firing the glaze. Well, the way they achieved that hundreds or thousands of years ago in in Persia, uh, in the Islamic world, is they took the uh, bisque, tile, which is now, that's fired once, okay? So that's a, a fired tile with no glaze on it. They would take their glaze and they would they would paint by hand. They would paint the glaze on the top of that. Now you've got to protect that surface somehow. you got to, on the one hand, you have to fill the kill, you know, to, and, and, and the more you can fill the kill, the more efficient it is, right? You know, it's just business. And uh, But by the same token, you have to protect that glaze. They would take wet clay, the same clay that the body of the the tile was made out of, they take wet clay and make three little balls and go dot, 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 and they'd put three of those on the, on the face, on the wet glaze of the face. They would take the base of the next tile and put the base down on the balls, which are down on top of the face of the next one, and they would proceed to do this until you'd have a, a sandwich or an accordion-shaped um, a pile of, of tile, and the three little balls are protecting, you know, on the one hand, it's causing three chips, but it's protecting the overall design uh, glossed from being damaged, you know. And um, and at least from what I understand, then you couldn't you couldn't put it in the kill standing up, you put it in sideways. Because oh. if you put it standing up, gravity is going to keep yeah. pushing those little balls down. So they were put in sideways, therefore there's no pressure 
you're going back against each other. Pressure is now going down on the edges. And uh, so that's how the tiles were put in. When they were fired then, what you pulled out of the kill was a great big long thing of all these tiles now fused from one end to the other together, but little spaces, little tiny spaces in between. So they had little tiny hammers that they would use to knock, knock, knock the three little balls off and remove the tile, remove the tile, remove the tile. So when you're done, you have your tile, but you've got three little chips, or what in Spanish is called uh, tres pias, three little feet, is the Spanish term. So I sort of get a kick out of the fact that it winds up in Pueblo, because if, in Mexico, because you have to back up and then ask yourself, how the heck does that process get there? Because we get in Persia, we get in, begin in Persia hundreds or thousands of years ago. That goes across the Middle East with the Islamic uh, world. The Moors cross the Straits of Gibraltar and go into Spain, which they ruled for 600 or 700 years, the southern part of Spain, where they're teaching the locals how to make tile. In what process? The ancient Persian process, which they've inherited through the Islamic tradition, the Spanish conquistadors now leave for the New World. What do they bring with them? Their knowledge of tile making is taken from the Moors, who came from, you know, the North Africa, who come from come from Persia. So the conquistadors, the Spanish, teach the Mexican locals and and their own potters who have come with them, you know, to build in the city of Puebla. They're teaching them what they understand, but that's the ancient technique of of Persia. So, but in the 20s and 30s, there were only two places you you found that, and that's Tunisia and Puebla. Wow, wow. We're we are they are going to have an open house yes. on October 19th and 20th. Tell us one thing you're most excited about. You, I heard you mentioned Florence. You've got lots of people interested. So just, I mean, you're, you're going to come. So what, what, what are you hoping? Who, who are you hoping to bring? What are you hoping to get? It's just, we're just super excited ourselves. This is such a great right, space right. that's never open. Yeah, exactly. Well, when I first discovered this, um, when I first found this house, the grounds themselves were always open. It was not locked up. So you had this beautiful, beautiful garden here. You could just pull up you know, off the street and just wander around. And there's so many big windows and everything. I could see that there was a lot of interesting stuff inside. I just couldn't, you know, it's privately owned. I just could not get, you know, get inside. So I immediately um, got in touch with uh, uh, part of this whole story about the Mexican story is interesting because I was contacted years ago by a professor emeritus from UCLA who'd retired. And uh, I don't remember if he had a home in Mexico City or friends in Mexico City, but he spent a lot of time there. And he became very interested in, of course, tile, you know, my God, you just tile, Mexican tile, Spanish style tile, everywhere, everywhere, everywhere in their architecture. And he came back here and he was going to do his retirement writing a book on the use of California architects and the use of Mexican tile (laughs) in our architecture. So he goes through the Malibu Lagoon Museum and he meets a whole bunch of us, you know, just trying to get leads on where to go. And once he got to me, I said, well, I said, Bill, I said, I've been going everywhere for over 20 years at this point. I've already been seeing tile everywhere. And I said, uh, I'll give you a little warning. I said, there's not enough to write a book because we didn't do it. We didn't, we just didn't use that. Well, for, for all the reasons that begin this podcast interview. Right. Exactly. You know, exactly. You know, so, and he was just really, he was just surprised because again, it, it was it would seem natural that you would that you would do that. So at any rate, I discovered this place. You know, I called him, and you can imagine if I'm excited to find this place, this is what he was trying to study. This is what he was trying to to, to you know to focus on. I have never been able. I've been here three or four times now, but I've never been able to get him to this house. 
So I was sending pictures, of course, and everything that I took. So needless to say, he's already aware of it, and I'm going to personally, you know, get him and, and, and bring him here. And he really is my Mexican tile. Whatever I know about Puebla and at least part of the three, the three chips, yada, 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 really comes from, uh, from, from Bill. So he's just very, very excited to be able to come here and see this. And what I'm hoping is because about half the tile here has chips and about half does not. But it sure all looks, you know, Mexican to me. So he's good enough to sometimes delineate between cities and between potters. So I'm very anxious to have Bill come here and give me additional information about, um, more detailed information about um, the tile here and where it, you know, where it came from. So I'm very excited about that. And, and it's been at least five or six years he's been trying to get in here. So he's like, you know, somebody who is interested in something like that, he's like, you know, beside himself at any rate. Um, so that, I think that's my, my biggest thing is to make sure he gets here uh, to see all of this. And he's going to love it. He's going to love it. Perfect. So we'll see you and Bill on the 19th or the 20th. I think Kim and I are going to come on the 20th because okay. we have a tour on the 19th. We'll talk okay. to you. I want to thank you, for, as always, for, for sharing your knowledge. This is, these are just these great little pockets around yeah, absolutely. the Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Well, I know, I mean, just, just briefly, uh, the way I discovered this, and this is, it's, this is just one of the ironies of our city, you know, LA, city, L.A. County, you have to think of the county in terms of where these wealthy old families used to live, but I, was in so I lived in Southgate for many, many years, and I never thought there was anything in Downey, because I thought of Downey as a 40s and 50s and 60s uh, city, which in many ways, you know, it was, and I don't know how many times I drove down what is that? Is that oh, that's, uh, that's that's Florence. 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 We're on Florence, and uh, so going back and forth here, there were many times I would go past, and there's a stoplight right out here, right? And most of the time you're driving, you're alone, you're not looking, you're going, you know. So one day I was going past, and uh, you know, years ago, and but I hit the light. So I'm sitting there, you know, just listening to the radio, you know, doo -doo -doo -doo, you know, doing kind of nothing. And I look over, and what was funny, what caught my eye was the gate. There's a beautiful bronze gate with cherubs a little far away, you know, but you cannot see the house. You cannot see the house from the street. So I'm looking at a small parking lot, a huge adobe wall, and, and I was looking at the, the gate, the bronze gate. And I thought, holy cow, you can't have a gate like that unless you've got a pretty fancy schmancy house back of it. So that's... That's where, that's what I saw, you know, right? So I pull into the parking area, and I'm standing there staring at the gate, you know, when you're focusing on something, you know, and I look <laughs> through the gate to this garden designed by what the people, was it? Was Florence Yoach. Florence Yoach. Oh, okay, okay. And beautiful, beautiful, and beyond it, this incredible Spanish colonial Monterey-style, pristine condition, and here's the bronze plaques from the National Register, and on and on and on, and that started my whole quest of trying to, I did not know what the hell I had, I had stumbled on, and that's what it took for me after all these years of living in Southgate to discover this because of a red light and a, and a bronze gate is what got me here, and so it's very hidden, it's, it's really a hidden treasure to say the least. And just to end on that note of hidden treasures, there are, I said this when I was interviewing Florence, there still are Roland Coat houses in Downey. Yeah. Other ones. But if you were to be lucky enough to be invited to them, you would probably pull into the driveway, get out of your car, and turn your head and look for the two-story Monterey-style Spanish yes. current arrival house. And you would look in vain. Because I mean, the, the, you would look in vain because they've all been remodeled out of existence, which is why this one is, is so important. Yeah, yeah, I don't know how, well, I don't know how to describe the the other, that's, that's all I can say, um, but the important thing is that this one is here, and this is just in 
pristine, just beautiful, pristine condition, and we can be very, very grateful for what Gypsy Johnson did, you know, before she passed away, you know, to get control of this property, and, and for the ladies of the Assistance League who have kept it like this for, for so many years. So, But it really is just a hidden, hidden uh, jewel that many people are not aware of, and I do wish, I mean, I do wish more people could be aware of it or utilize it, whether it's weddings or benefits of other kinds. It is just a beautifully you know, intact and compact uh, um, area that you could have banquets and all sorts of... I mean, imagine having a dinner, a banquet dinner right here at night, a catered dinner under this awning the way it would have been in the 20s and or, it would, or what it would have been during the Spanish colonial period for that point. It would have been the same atmosphere, you know. So uh, a beautiful house and, and beautiful tile. Perfect, and we'll see you the 19th and the 20th here. Yeah, one of those days. Yeah, I'm, I'm probably, I'll try to come on both days, actually, if I can. It's just so rare to see the house open. I'd like to see it with people running around and, and enjoying it, you know, and, and definitely have to bring my friend Bill because he's going to be he's going to be out of his mind, I think, when he, when he sees this. Yeah, for him, it's going to be especially exciting. So. Brian, thank you so much. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Very good. My name is Suzanne Lummis, and I'm here in the Athletic Club on 7th Street in downtown L.A., and you're listening to You Can't Eat the Sunshine. And we're done. I'd like to thank everyone for listening to our podcast, You Can't Eat the Sunshine, for the week of September 30th, 2013. Our guests this week were... Florence Towers. She's president of the Assistance League of Downey. And we also spoke with Brian Kaiser, Southern California's tile expert. We both talked to them solely on the topic of La Casa de Parley Johnson, or the Gypsy Johnson House in Downey, California, which the Assistance League stewards. And uh, we're all just talked about the open house that's coming up October 19th and 20th, and we'll see you there. So I want to thank you for listening. I want to encourage you to stay tuned, and Kim, if people want to give us feedback, we, we like the Assistance League of Downey. We like feedback. How can they do that? You can give us feedback by sending us an email to youcaneatthesunshine at gmail.com or through the contact link at You can also come and see us on an Esoteric Bus Adventure or a Lava event, free or paid, and let us know what you've been enjoying on the podcast. It's always a pleasure to hear from listeners, and we've been hearing from them uh, actually from far afield. We've been getting emails from foreign countries. The stories of Los Angeles have resonance, and we like knowing that. So let us know what you think. Thank you, Kim. So good, good, good. Kim, let's just um, let's wrap this up. Let's uh, look ahead for October and November for bus tours. Why don't you get us started? We've got some crime tours to start October out with. Uh, we're we're back on the road week after next. Blood and dumplings. Indeed, this is one of my more more demented crime bus tours. I I think the. Northern San Gabriel Valley. Well, I mean, they're crime tours not demanded. Well, some of them are just really criminal, and some of them are kind of daffy and weird. And we've got some daffy and weird in Blood and Dumplings. You know, we go, we go to the site of the Lion Farm, and we talk about the Man from Mars Bandit. But something I'm kind of upset about. This is going to be the first time we've given Blood and Dumplings since the Norm's Restaurant mm-hmm. on Valley at Del Mar. Valley uh, at Valley, no, no, honey, it's at Del Mar, um, is, is being demolished. 
It's been closed up for years. It was sold for an exorbitant amount of money. I think I heard $20 million to Chinese investors. They didn't build, although it's a very, very valuable lot. And it's just been rotting away. And, you know, the sign's gone, so it doesn't really look like a norms. But there's something really special in the parking lot. There are these wonderful mid-1960s white sort of space-age-looking um, streetlights, well, parking lot lights in that lot. And I always call them the Man from Mars Memorial Light Fixtures because the Man from Mars Bandit died just across the street in in, in the supermarket, which is now Hawaii Supermarket. And uh, they're, they're so spacey. They always make me think of him. So I hope somehow those lights are saved. I doubt it, though. I think it's going to be a big mis- mixed-use project. Um But it's a fun tour, and we also have dumplings in Monster Park in San Gabriel, so perhaps you'll join us. There's some terrific stories. Uh, That's the tour we talk about James Elroy and his family on. The following uh, weekend, the October 19 weekend, would be uh, our Real Black Dahlia Tour. It is our most popular crime bus tour. We do expect it to sell out, and it will be followed, of course, by that Crime Lab seminar, so we'll have a busy weekend. But come get on that bus if you'd like to follow in the footsteps of Elizabeth Short, who is the victim in the most notorious, still unsolved crime in L.A. history. We're then um, moving into a series of literary tours, which Richard will be hosting, so I'll pass the baton to him. Sure, Kim, just quick. So, October 26th. Raymond Chandler's Los Angeles. This is a tour. This is a great tour. We start at the Los Angeles Athletic Club, a place where Chandler was a member. We talk about the Athletic Club. We talk about the Bank of Italy building immediately across the street and the Oviat building immediately down the street. Between these three buildings, you have a a large swath of of Raymond Chandler's uh, life and creative work. And it's just uh, from there, we we head west into Hollywood. We stop at Paramount. We talk about... His career as a screenwriter, we talk about the bookshops in Hollywood. It is a fantastic tour. So so get on the bus, and at the end of the tour, you can you can have a, a gimlet at the club, uh, at, the, at the bar right before they close. They have time for, usually have time for one last round before we leave November. November 2, the Jamie Kane tour, the birth of noir. These these tours really complement each other because, because the scripting of Double Indemnity really is a, a a big part of each tour. Double Indemnity and Chandler's screen work basically make up the second half of this bus tour, the Chandler bus tour. And double inde- the scripting of Double Indemnity, though King was not involved in the scripting by virtue of his fact that he was the novelist and was involved in conferences surrounding the scripting of Double Indemnity, this makes up a good third of the Kane tour. And this Kane, Jamie Kane tour is about the birth of noir. So double indemnity really is the focus of this tour because it, I believe is, is the film that created the genre film noir. We get into all of that. We go to Glendale, we go to the Mildred Pierce house. We go to the Glendale train station where they, 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 they do the body dump, but they swap bodies just outside the train station. Uh, we go to the murder site in, we go to the murder site out just outside of the train station. It's a great tour. We end up in Skid Row, go to the King Eddie. It's fantastic. So immediately following that, the next Saturday, Charles Bukowski. Yes, I have a Charles Bukowski bus tour, and it's a lot of fun. Terminal Annex Post Office, uh, Skid Row, East 5th Street, the King Edward Hotel, Broadway, Broadway movie theaters in the 80s, Central Library, the DeLong Prey House, which is now a historic cultural monument, the destroyed Carlton Way House, 
Pink Elephant Liquors, it's all there. And you can't film in East Hollywood anymore. You just you just can't. And then Kim, um, just you wanna I, I I we have some crime tours and I, I I'm gonna let you just wrap up the crime tours in November, which ends of course with my birthday bus. And yes. don't forget the Western Motel Museum in Lancaster, which we're going to now, too. I couldn't forget. No, just a couple more crime tours in November. Eastside Babylon on November 16th, which is uh, it's pretty twisted as well. It includes an incredibly grim murder story about three strung-out con artists in the back of a radio shop on Beverly Boulevard working themselves up into a lather until two of them ended up without their heads being cooked in the incinerator in the backyard, and yet it's kind of a love story. So you should get on that bus. And then the following uh, weekend, November 23rd, which is a Saturday, it will be the Weird West Adams Tour, a tour of just a sprawling, interconnected bunch of neighborhoods, all of which have really extraordinary stories of people getting into trouble, and Richard will illuminate the history of the development of this very interesting part of Los Angeles and how uh, some important court cases that began in that neighborhood led to getting rid of some really nasty racist laws about home ownership in the United States. And we're going to wrap the month up November 30th. Is that a Sunday, Richard? It's a Saturday. It's a Saturday. A Saturday. That's a birthday tour. We only do it once a year. And it's always very, very special. And this time we're going out to the Antelope Valley. And we'll be packing some birthday cake and some fun film clips to share. And we're just going oh, to... Get those you got to get those digitized. And we're just going to some really extraordinary places. It's all on the website. If you'd like to come out, explore a part of Southern California, a little off the beaten path with some nice folks and celebrate Richard's birthday and uh, have an adventure, join us. It's $47 for an eight-hour tour, which is, boy, that's a deal. You, you have to bring your lunch. Yeah. And 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 a, and a thermos. We're bringing coffee, but I'd, I'd bring a, a thermos anyway. Mm-hmm. All right, Kim. Thank you. Good job. So, we want to thank you for listening. We want to encourage you to keep listening, and I want to remind you: you can't eat the sunshine. You can't eat the sunshine, but you can make a beeline for the best of the coastline. La 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 la. Skid Row, Solano. Long lost neighborhood called Hermina between a South Pass and Highland Park, Grand Central Park. It is divine. You can't eat the sunshine, but it's a gold mine.